Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV, 1450 AM, Chicago, Illinois, and I am your host, Tariq El Amin. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program airing every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. Now, you can also log on to www.radioislam.com to check out guest bios, programming, previous shows, articles, and more. Now, if you haven't already done so, follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Did I say Facebook already? No, I didn't, but that's okay. But the handle is at Radio Islam USA for both Twitter and Instagram. And we ask that you like our Facebook page at Radio Islam. So if you'd like to chime in to to tonight's discussion, well, unfortunately, that's not going to be possible because this is a pre-recording. But you can feel free to leave your comments on our Facebook page. Any comments or questions that you have, because we still would like to continue, continue the discussion after we have finished here today. So. For those who are listening to us on your drive home, we hope that the traffic isn't too bad, but we hope that you will stay with stay with us for the duration of the show. Now, I'm always happy to talk to our listeners and get their feedback about how we're doing Uh, as longtime listeners. You all know that I'm just in my third week, so I am the new host of Radio Islam. So those of you who've been tuning in thinking that you'd hear a different voice on a different night. Nope, it is still me. So um, we are going to get moving because we have a uh, we are just really fortunate we're blessed to have the guests that we have in studio with us today we have the honorable cook county state's attorney kimberly fox in the studio to talk with us about her first nine months in office and it is nine yes we confirmed that before we started talking and some of the initiatives we have embarked upon okay so for those of you who are just joining us midstream Uh, We apologize. We had some technical difficulties. I was just in the midst of explaining on a (laughs) pre-recording that you would not be able to contact us, but you can now. So feel free to give us a call. Give us a call. 312-750-1178. This is Radio Islam broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Radio Islam USA. I am speeding up because we have precious little time. We have with us in studio, the Honorable Cook County State's Attorney, Kimberly Fox. Let me tell you just a little bit about her. She's been in office for nine months um, and doing some phenomenal work uh, in that office. So quickly, Kimberly Fox is the first African-American woman to lead the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, the second largest prosecutor's office in the country. Kim was elected on a message of reform and is focused on rebuilding the public trust, promoting transparency, and being proactive in making communities safe. A veteran prosecutor, she was an assistant state's attorney for 12 years before serving as as chief of staff for the Cook County Board President. Kim was the lead architect of the county's criminal justice reform agenda to address racial disparities in the criminal and juvenile justice systems. Kim holds a B.A. in political science and a J.D., that's a Juris Doctorate, from Southern Illinois University. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. Yes, yes, yes. So I just found out um, that uh, Ms. Fox had actually been on the show about a year and a half ago. So 
this is this is the highlight of my three <laughs> weeks and will be one of my uh, interviews that I definitely will remember for the remainder of my career. Oh, well, thank you, and, and welcome to Radio Islam. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> so you've been in office nine months. Nine months and 19 days. 19 days. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the platform that you, that you ran on, you have... I had the benefit of, of hearing some of the some of the, the the things that you have done thus far. Would you share with our listeners some of the organizational uh, changes that you've made in this office? Sure. So, as you noted in, in my introduction, we are the second largest prosecutor's office in the country. And first and foremost, you know, our goal is to ensure and promote public safety to make sure. Um, that our friends, families, and neighbors um, can live their lives harm-free. And and critical to that mission is making sure that people trust and believe um, in the fairness of our criminal justice system. Um, So many people um, have taken to dealing with uh, things that happen in their lives um, outside of the court system because of the distrust that they have. And so we've been working to make sure that our office works in a way that's transparent, Um, and the highest levels of integrity, and respects and responds to the communities that we serve. And and so some of that is meant uh, dealing with inherent injustices that have have existed in the criminal justice system and taking them on. Um, You know, we've been dealing with issues like bond reform, um, making sure that our bond system is fair and doesn't penalize people um, for being poor. Uh, A lot of people don't recognize that you know, jail mm-hmm. is where people go pre-trial before uh, they are found guilty of a crime. And, and there is a presumption of innocence that attaches to that. Mm-hmm. And so often we see people who have been accused and not yet found guilty languishing in our jails, not because they are a threat to public safety or a flight risk, but simply because they're poor. And we've been working over the course of the last nine months to make that system more fair to people who are coming through. Uh, also looking at issues of poverty um, and the criminalization of poverty, uh, we took on uh, the task of reviewing how we do retail theft cases. Yes. Um, in Illinois, uh, Illinois law says that it's a felony uh, to steal anything $300 or more. And anything less than $300 is a misdemeanor. Um, with a misdemeanor, you're still held accountable. For your actions, um, you still have to do some measure of like repentance uh, for that. But a felony carries a lot more collateral consequences, uh, the ability to get public housing, the ability um, it becomes harder to get a job or uh, financial aid. And what we saw was that we had a number of people who were arrested for felony retail theft levels, mm-hmm. um, who were dealing with addiction issues, who were dealing with mental health issues, who were dealing, quite frankly, with issues around poverty. And Illinois sat outside of our neighbors in terms of what constituted a, a felony. In Indiana, the threshold was $750, which wow. that's Indiana, which is tends, one tends not to think would be more liberal than than Illinois. In Wisconsin, the threshold is $2,500. So if you can imagine, $300 in this market is not what it was 10 years ago. And so we wanted to make sure uh, that we were really only dealing with folks in the felony capacity who we believed um, should be treated that way. And so we changed that threshold um, in our office from $300 to $1,000. So it's a, do you think it's a fair assessment? I mean, you've, you've talked uh, during the campaign trail uh, and since about your own 
upbringing. Uh, do you feel like it's a fair assessment to say that there is a um, an ethos of of compassion that you <laughs> approach this idea of justice, which is quite often looked at as more as as as, uh, as um, punishment as opposed mm. to restoration. You know, I talk about my upbringing a lot, largely because I don't think that we've had someone in, in this position in Cook County who has lived the experiences that I've lived, right? I grew up in public housing. You know, I'm the first black woman in this position. Right. Um, you know, I have a lot more in common with the people who come through our criminal justice system as victims and defendants mm -hmm. than I do with some of the people who served in this position, right? right? I have more in common with the people who inhabit the system than the people who've inhabited this job. And, and so I don't know that it necessarily makes me more compassionate. I think it makes me more understanding of the circumstances that people live. And it's that proximity to the issues that makes me know that things aren't just black and white, you know, that there are, there's shades of gray, there's complexities, um, that there is a level of understanding that we should have for the people who come through. And so I think that has shaped how I look at problems, that it's not an academic exercise for me. It's not something I read about in a book. Right. I don't know about these communities because I watched the box set of The Wire. Like, I lived in the neighborhood. You know, I know what this is. Mm -hmm. And I think that has given me a far deeper appreciation um, for how we should treat people who come through our system. Okay. All right, folks, listeners, are you with me? Okay, look, we're going to take a quick two minutes, just two minutes, and we'll be right back. This is Radio Slam, 1450 WCEV. Uh, we'll be right back. traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are still listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin, and in studio with us tonight is the Honorable Cook County State's Attorney, Kimberly Fox. We have been talking about her first nine months, or that's what we are talking about. We're talking about her first nine months in office, uh, some of the reforms that she has made, and I'm not going to waste uh, another second yammering. I'm just going to ask you, um, 
what has been the, um, with, as far as organizationally, right, mm -hmm. you have, you've made a, a deliberate point of including uh, women of color in your, as far as your, your leadership is concerned. Um, how, how has that, <laughs> how has that um, manifested or how has that uh, been taken as far as morale? Has, has, it, in, has it been met with enthusiasm? <laughs> I mean, I, I just imagine so, but, you know, I, I'd like to hear from you. Well, just for a little context, um, of elected prosecutors across this country, there are about 2,400 elected prosecutors. Mm -hmm. And of those 2,400, less than 1% are women of color, less than 1%. And so this is largely a, a field uh, where uh, diversity at the top is, is, is not present. And so what I wanted to do when I came into office, not just for women of color, uh, but to make sure that we had diversity across the board. Uh, Cook County is a very uh, diverse uh, uh, county. Mm -hmm. I think it's about, you know, 25 percent uh, African-American. I just saw a study just slightly more than that uh, Latino. And uh, then we have uh, about 50 percent of the counties being white. And what we wanted to make sure was that when we talk about these issues, that we had people with lived experiences. We talked about my experience. Um, I want to make sure that people in leadership positions come from the communities that we serve. And so it was really important to me that we were intentional about having diversity in, in our senior leadership team. Uh, we now, I believe, have the most diverse senior leadership uh, team that that office has ever seen um, because, you know, we hired our first ever chief diversity officer um, and she was charged with, let's look at our numbers. Let's look and see, have there been things that have prohibited people from getting promoted? We're promoting people not just because they're uh, people of color, but because they're talented. You know, right. we have so much talent. Um, who who didn't have an opportunity to rise through the ranks. And then we're saying, how do we create pathways to make sure that we don't lose talented people uh, along the way? And I will tell you that having that diversity, how how I see the world is very different than how someone else uh, who grew up in Pilsen uh, may have seen the world mm -hmm. or who can bring some understanding to me when we're talking about immigration, when we're talking about the effects of DACA that I may not have ever thought about because that wasn't what was pressing for me. Or someone who lives in suburban Cook County, north suburban Cook County is very different than south suburban. So being intentional about making sure that we have that diversity in our senior leadership and then pushing that down is important. How is it received? You know, I, I think it is, I think the level of intentionality and in, in me talking about it, for some people, it is a change. And it, it, there's a inevitable, like, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. um, and we have to meet people where they are and assure them uh, that diversity does not mean that we're taking something away, being equitable, making sure that people have a shot an opportunity to display their talent doesn't mean that we don't recognize everybody's talents. Right. So I have to be really mindful uh, that that the people who who don't come from diverse communities or don't come from uh, you know minority communities recognize that there's still space for everybody. Um, but making room uh, for diversity is an absolute necessity. I mean, we have to do that. Well, often, <clears throat> often you know those who have benefited or not, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would just say those who have benefited from uh, from a system are not looking for it to change. So uh, that's you know that's that's difficult. 
but it's it's necessary if we're going to grow as a uh, as a as a diverse community. Absolutely. So, and yeah. when everything that we do, I think some of the biggest lessons that I've learned is we have to explain to people, right? You have to explain why you're doing it and the benefit that you're doing it. It doesn't mm. behoove me to just say, well, you know, you got a new sheriff in town and this is what we're doing. Um, there's a responsibility that comes of educating folks about why you're making the moves that you're making. Uh, because there is that inevitable, I don't like change. I still need them to believe in the mission of the work. Mm. Uh, so they go out and they advocate on behalf of our victims and the communities that we serve. And you can't do that if you don't understand why we're doing the things that we're doing. But there is, you know, I, it, as a woman of color who occupies this space, you know, a lot of what I do, uh, regardless of my intention, is viewed through somebody's racial lens. And so you can't be afraid to do what's necessary because there will be that judgment anyway. But I do think the responsibility is on me to make sure that people understand why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, very difficult to get away from in a racially stratified uh, society, you know, with a deep history of, you know, identifying or, or separating people based on that. That's right. You mentioned... Um, uh, the, the victims, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this is particularly important uh, with regard to an event that's coming up this weekend. That's right. Um, could you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so this weekend we will be having our 28th annual victim uh, memorial that recognizes and celebrates the life of victims of homicide and reckless homicide. I think it's important that when we talk about uh, victims of violence, that we're talking about people. Uh, people talk about numbers. You know, 762 people were killed last year. Ten people were killed over the weekend. Those are people's sons, fathers, daughters, mothers, sisters, brothers. Um, they, it's not even just the, the individual who lost their life. It's the ripple effect on the families, the communities, um, all of us. And so we need to take pause and, and celebrate those lives uh, to, to talk about that pain and hurt and really work towards healing. And this is an opportunity at our memorial to bring families and communities together to celebrate the lives of those lost um, and to fellowship with others who, who have felt that level of grief. So we're going to be doing this on this Saturday at the House of Hope mm -hmm. on the South Side. Um, it's our largest public event, um, an event, again, it's 28 years mm -hmm. strong. Um, and one that I'm very humbled and honored uh, to be a part of. And, you know, our victim witness unit is who organizes and put this event on. And these are the people who are on the front lines with our victims holding their hands um, mm -hmm. at the most difficult times of their lives. And so I'm very proud to work with these men and women who uh, really you talk about compassion. You talk about uh, the humanity of the work. They are the backbone um, of our office as it comes to that. And so we welcome people who have lost someone uh, to violence to come share with us or as community. I think anytime we lose anybody in this city, if you knew their name or not, we are all impacted. So as a community, if you want to come out and celebrate with us, we welcome you to the House of Hope um, here in the city of Chicago on Saturday at 11 a.m. Uh, for full disclosure for our listeners, um, I am the, in my capacity uh, as an imam of Meshed uh, al-Taqwa, I am the, I'm, I'm opening and closing the services with prayer. Uh, this has, this will, I think this will be my third 
um, opportunity uh, and, and blessing, I would say, to be able to join um, uh, this effort. And it, it really has been, I mean, from the first time I, I, mm. I, I came, it was, it was such a moving experience to the point that you mentioned that these are not just numbers. That's right. Uh, and that's how they're portrayed. You know, we, we hear we have 30 people right. get shot or lose their lives over the weekend. So, um, yeah, it's important that we humanize, you know, uh, because these are people. That's right. Uh, let me ask you also, um, with regard to our young people, what types of approaches are you taking? Um, because you've assembled the leadership team that you've assembled is, uh, and I, I hope I don't sound too much like a fan, uh, you all. <laughs> uh, it, it might be coming through. You might see through me. But uh, you've assembled a, a team with uh, expertise and with uh, feel. Could you just tell, tell our listeners a little bit about some of the, the things that are, that are changed as far as the culture within how we're dealing with the juveniles? Certainly. So we hired uh, a new uh, head of juvenile, Mariam Ahmed, and which I think that's probably where your fandom comes from. You, <laughs> you met Mariam. Um, and, you know, Mariam comes by way of having been a prosecutor. She and I met when we both worked in juvenile justice before. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a, a public defender before that. Um, and she was also a judge. Uh, she sat on the uh, on the bench. And so she's got a well-rounded look of having defended young people, having been a prosecutor, and having been a judge. And what we know is that anytime we have a young person involved in some type of criminal activity, there's a failing somewhere, right? right. As a mom, I have a 14-year-old and 11-year-old. And it is not natural for young people to be engaging in, in criminalized behavior. Either they've seen it somewhere, they're m mocking something, seeing something, falling into negative peer groups. And our response to them has to be proportionate and responsible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we're trying to not use our system to cause more harm. Right. We want to hold young people accountable. We want to make sure that they know what they've done is not appropriate. But we also want to make sure that our response meets the need. Right. You know, we we so heavily relied on in the past using our detention center um, to correct behavior. Right. The, the, the jail for young people. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you put a kid who maybe committed an offense again wrong and say, you know, we'll show them, we'll show them, why, we'll lock them up, we'll show them a little tough love, and, and, and they'll learn. And then you lock them up with some other kids who have been in these negative peer sets in conditions where you're not going to school, you're not with your family. All of the things that you know that children need to grow and thrive and make better decisions, mm -hmm. we say we're going to do the opposite of that. We're going to put you with negative peer groups, put you in, in, in circumstances, and they come out worse for wear. And we look down the line and we see a lot of our young adults who end up in our adult system who had a juvenile background. And so what we're saying is how do we make sure that our interventions are appropriate? We can't hammer every kid. I think, you know, the analogy that Mariam likes to use mm -hmm. is the toolbox. You know, what are the tools that are available for us? Every job doesn't require a hammer. You know, some jobs may require a slight screw here. Some jobs may require, you know, a light tap. But if we treat every child in the exact same way without recognizing adolescent brain development, what are their educational and emotional needs? You know, what happens when a kid has been exposed to trauma? 
Yeah. You know, what happens when we got these kids who go to high school and three, four of their classmates have been killed in one year, and then they feel like they need to protect themselves because that's the world they live in. If we aren't thoughtful about each and every young person that comes into our system and what our response will be, then I think we will continue to have a system that fails when recidivism rates are up, when we see kids progressing in criminal behavior, when they go from having, you know, been a passenger in a stolen vehicle to now being the one that's leading, you know, a carjacking. Anytime we can get to touch young people and, and have the right intervention, that's what we need to be doing. So have you found <clears throat> have you found that people are surprised at the the shift um, what has been, I mean, from just from a community standpoint, how are people responding to an office that has been historically, you know, associated with punishment uh, and its use of discretion often not utilized at all or utilized just, you know, to, to give the maximum amount of, of punishment? How have, have communities been responding and how are you getting the word out? Yeah. So, I, listen, I... I was voted in by very large margins. Um, and I think a lot of that was the people of this county believing that we needed to do something different and better, mm-hmm. right? That we've done this way of prosecution for years and people weren't seeing the results. They were turned off by it. Um, and so I think that people want to uh, have a system that's fair and just. And so people were excited, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's refreshing for some. I mean, I, listen, we have a lot of rehabilitation to do with the public around the commun- criminal justice system and having trust. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that just because I'm there and just because I've been there nine months that people are now you're like, you know what, we trust it. We have, to do, we have to show and prove. We have to continually show and prove. And that's why a lot of the efforts around reform are really important. And people say to me all the time, well, your job is to make sure communities are safe. That is always at our baseline, always at our baseline. Every day we have people going into courtrooms, um, trying murder cases, trying sex assault cases, trying some of the most horrible things that you can see. We will always do that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we also have to work on reform. We also have to prove um, that we care about communities and not just individuals. And so I, I, the response has been largely positive. It really has. And, you know, I, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I don't have a lot of work to do. It doesn't mean that every day um, it, that I, I don't have to show and prove. And tell the good word, right? To your point, how are we communicating? Um, we have a new uh, social media feed. You know, we this office... Uh, was was a slightly behind the times. Um, so, you know, people can follow the work that it, that we do if they follow my handle, S.A. Kim Fox, okay. Fox with two X's on Twitter, um, or C.C. State's Attorney, um, which is the office's page on Twitter. Um, they can follow us on Facebook. Uh, we are working on, uh, we started trying to put together an internal newsletter. We're going to work eventually to have an external newsletter um, and our community engagement team, our community justice centers that are in the neighborhoods are out spreading the good word. We have our assistants going to schools, going to churches, going to community groups. Uh, we're telling our, our, our lawyers and our staff that they have to get out and, and they have to be ambassadors. And so you'll see us in the community a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that is 
the word of mouth from people who've interacted with us is our best communication we got right now. Absolutely. Uh, bad news travels really, really fast, <laughs> but good news, it does travel fast. Yeah. You know, so um, I think that work uh, and that, that spirit, that, that leadership, I think it, it definitely is, is making, its, making its rounds. We trying. Um, and we have to support that. <laughs> so uh, I also want to ask about, because uh, you mentioned earlier about the idea, well, not the idea, but this, many folks can relate to feeling like they are paying a penalty for not having money. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, you know, you know, being arrested, you know, to get a bail hearing and they can't make bail and it's a nonviolent crime. Uh, and then there are folks that are particularly that, that, are, that have been locked up historically for driving without a license. Mm-hmm. Now, you've also done something mm-hmm. that is definitely noteworthy with regard to that. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think you're talking about our misdemeanor six, what we call 6303s, because that's the, the statute code. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, we have diminished resources in our office. You know, we don't have as many assistant state's attorneys as we used to have. And when you're dealing with issues of violence, you know, you have to reprioritize why and, and what you're doing. And so one of the priorities um, that we have, the main priority is keeping communities safe. And so when I'm looking at where I'm allocating my resources, you know, we did an audit. We did a review of, of where can we move assistance um, from and, and, and direct them to dealing with violence. And we looked at our traffic court. And what we saw in traffic court was that we had uh, a, a heavy volume of cases that were there uh, for people driving on a suspended license. And the basis of that suspension was the failure to pay tickets. And when you started to look and you saw, well, let's look at the life of a case that comes through like this. It was people who couldn't pay tickets who get a continuance and then they come back and the license is still suspended because they couldn't pay. And these were largely people who um, were poor, you know, as the fines for the tickets come up, as they double, as they these weren't people who were eventually paying these tickets. Uh, they were just coming to court, and we were becoming modified bill collectors. Mm-hmm. And so I don't believe that that's what people hired us to do. Um, I don't believe that anyone thinks that that's a good use of taxpayer resources, having the prosecutor in a major metropolitan area um, chasing people for um, failure to pay tickets. Now, again, you should pay your tickets. The mm-hmm. law says you should pay your tickets. Um, but we believe that the municipalities uh, should should be able to go after those folks for doing that, but that the jails and that our criminal justice system, our criminal justice system mm-hmm. is not a place that we deal with people um, for crimes of poverty. Pretty much the equivalent of a of debtor's prison. Right. Um, which, yes, I mean, that, that, that in itself. Uh, so let me, <laughs> let, let me ask you this. What would you tell a young, uh, aspiring civil servant? Yeah. Uh, somebody that, that wants to be an attorney, that wants to work uh, for your office, what advice do you give them? Hmm. Um, I think civil, I think I've been able to be really successful in my career because I've been very passionate about the work. And I think there's a a tendency, particularly with lawyers, to not wear their passion on their sleeves, to not be driven by the work. Uh, prosecutors, public defenders, we we tend to be called true believers. 
right? We did on either side, right. and either side can't stand the other side's true believing. Uh, <laughs> But I think I found that some of the best lawyers that I have are true believers. Um, and that enables them to operate with the highest level of integrity. And so I tell people all the time, particularly people who come from neighborhoods like mine, who want to hide that part of them, I lead with that in everything that I do. I mean, my pride of being able to represent people who come from public housing, people who come um, from circumstances like mine to say that I am um, indicative of what's possible means that I have to lead with that. As a black woman, uh, I am very proud to be a black woman in this position, and so I don't diminish that. So I tell people all the time, show up in the fullness of who you are in every job that you do. Lead, move with passion and commitment to, to what you believe in, um, and don't stop. These are hard jobs. I mean, these are these are very difficult jobs. And public servants don't make a lot of money. Um, they just don't. But if your drive to make your community better is strong, mm-hmm. and your willingness to sacrifice, you know, maybe the nicer, you know, Apple Watch. <laughs> you know, I don't even wear a watch. Um, <coughs> man, uh, you may have to sacrifice, you know, wearing some nicer clothes. But... <laughs> The impact that you have on your community is far worth it. It's, it, it, it. It makes it, um, there's no, it's like the, the, the commercials. It's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. Even even with the passion, um, and I said civil servant. I don't know if I let my slip show. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's a saying that you all might not be familiar with. That just means I don't know if I made a mistake. Um, <laughs> Or it's 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 a public servant. Public servant. Public That's servant. Right. Yes. Okay. Because we're not talking about postal nope. uh, workers. Public servant. Right. So public servants. Um, even with the passion, and the, the and the desire to to serve. How do you find balance? Because, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So how how do you what what do you what do you say to folks that? You know, you got to find balance. It, yeah. And I look, I'm not even going to pretend with you. It, it is. <laughs> I'm better at it. I, I was better when I was not the boss. Yeah. Um, but someone said to me, and it's really true. You can't pour out anything if you're empty. Mm. Um, and that is so real. If you are tired, if you've given all of this, you aren't going to be able to find you know I I met my husband early on you know we've been together for almost 20 years you know that was before I started doing all of this Mm it's there's it's some it's refreshing for me to see young people go and find you know whether they have an artistic endeavor whether they found love or Mm -hmm. you know they're caring for relatives or the things that make you you this is a job and I'm very passionate I'm very passionate about my communities Uh, my community I'm very passionate about the work um, but it's a job. It's a title. What makes Kim Kim is, you know, my love of of laughter, um, my love of reading, my love of my children. Um, they they kind of they fill me out. And so if I spent all day twenty four seven being the state's attorney, people wouldn't like me. My husband wouldn't like me. He already does the you not a lawyer up in here, you know. It, it, <laughs> and so you have to check yourself. 
And so I tell people, you can't pour out if you have nothing in. If you if you're not fortified, uh, it you're not as good of a servant as you could be. Folks, if you are listening, uh, I know that you are enjoying this as much as I am. We're going to take a short, and I emphasize short break, so you can uh, get rid of some of the smile lines and uh, let your face relax for a second. This is Radio Islam, WCEV 1450. If you'd like to give us a call, 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. We will be back in just a moment. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident that was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States, my mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Paul Munoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. I'm going to shorten my normally long welcome back. I'm just going to get right back into our conversation. We have in studio with us Cook County State's Attorney Kimberly Fox, uh, who's done, doing some phenomenal work. Uh, been on the job nine months, 19 days. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, let me just jump into a, a different area. We actually talked about this on the show, I think, a week or two ago. Talked about DACA. Yeah. Uh, deferred action, was it? Deferred action, was it? Deferred action childhood Children. arrival. Yes, childhood arrival. Yeah. That's right. All right. So, I got it right. <laughs> Don't judge me, Okay. So, um, we know that there are close to a million folks that have been signed up under this, uh, protected under this um, executive order, mm-hmm. uh, this, this piece of uh, immigration um, policy from the Obama administration. And we've got a sizable immigrant community that's affected by it. 
uh, here in Chicago and Cook County mm -hmm. uh, in, in the larger scope. How is your office uh, dealing with that? You know, we have been working on our response to not just what's happening with DACA, uh, but what's happening kind of in the national conversation around undocumented immigrants in this country mm -hmm. uh, that coincides with January 20th uh, of this year. Mm -hmm. And the real fear and trepidation that these communities have uh, with what's happening, with the, the conversation about, you know, whether it's the travel ban, whether it's, you know, concerns about ICE showing up at courthouses, um, and then ultimately what, what we were just learning about DACA in the last couple of weeks. Then what's really important for people to understand is that our office represents victims of crime no matter who you are. We, your status as a documented citizen or an undocumented citizen is irrelevant to us. And so what happens, what's chilling about this, is that we have people who are literally being preyed upon, um, whether it's people taking advantage of them, um, pretending that they can sell them you know, documentation to help them become citizens, um, or people who are victims of violent crime who their perpetrators know they're afraid to come to the police. Sure. They're afraid to come to the courthouse. And so it is absolutely imperative that our office is vocal about our support uh, for undocumented communities. It's important that we say that we are not uh, enforcers of federal immigration policy. We do not enforce federal immigration policy with the state's attorney's office. Um, we also, it's important to say, um, are supportive of those communities who contribute so much. Uh, whether, you know, and we've seen it. We've seen the generations of folks who come through, uh, you know, the 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 DACA recipients uh, who, you know, some came here, you know, I think of classmates that I had when I was a young person um, whose I didn't know were undocumented till much later in life and the contributions that they have made to our communities, to our economy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our office has uh, been very mindful of that. We set up our first immigration hotline um, a few, few years, few months ago Um <laughs> Man, nine months, 19 days. Uh, back in, in February, after what was happening and the, the rhetoric around uh, the federal administration, so that people could call in um, and, and report uh, incidences of fraud or abuse uh, of immigrant communities. What we found was it was also a way for us to send people to other agencies. Um, maybe they didn't want to talk to us as a prosecutor, but we said maybe we can connect you with a social service agency that deals with domestic violence um, right. if you're afraid to come report a case, but you need help. And that's been really um, helpful. Uh, we've also partnered with uh, other organizations like the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights um, in support of the Trust Act uh, that was signed by Governor Rauner a few weeks ago. Um, so I think it's really important for us as a law enforcement agency to be visible and loud and vocal about our support of these communities. Uh, because if anyone has a mandate to protect everyone, everyone, regardless of their status, it's me. Uh, once again, I'm, I'm going to tone it down, but I, I think that is, you know, that's, that's truly admirable. admirable. I think that's the spirit that... Um, that our law enforcement as a whole should should operate from, um, but within dealing with uh, because you're dealing with you have different uh, municipalities, oh. 
uh, that you that comprise Cook County. Uh, has that presented uh, a challenge for you with regard to you know the the stance that you're taking and and how your office is trying to operate uh, in conjunction with those uh, municipalities? You know, it it takes educating, right? I mean, I, I think what you see in the city of Chicago, you know, it, it's Chicago is half of our of our population in Cook County, and dealing with the Chicago Police Department, which is a large force, and getting information disseminated to them of how we do these things, and there's a constant communication. Um, there's a different atmosphere than, say, in some of these smaller jurisdictions um, and how they get information and what they believe their obligations are. And so sometimes we don't even realize that perhaps they're operating on on some rules or standards that aren't appropriate until after the fact. And so we we really rely on people telling us hey, you need to go out to this suburb and let people know that this is a is a is an issue. Okay. <clears throat> All right, I, I think someone is uh, calling. So let's see. You're on Radio Islam. This is Tariq. Uh, how are you? I, I assume you're calling with the question for uh, State's Attorney uh, Kim, Kimberly Fox. Yes, I did have a question for State's Attorney Fox. Um, I know that um, there was a concern about not enough emphasis being placed on, uh, like, the gun violence or firearms um, and dealing with that that within the State's Attorney's Office. I just want to find out what changes have been made regarding how, uh, like, firearm dealers, um, just holding people accountable for that. Um, what changes have been made or what changes are forthcoming? Um, and then I'll hang up and listen. Okay, Thank great. You. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you asked. So one of the things that we created early on was our gun crime strategies unit. And that unit um, was taking assistant state attorneys out of the courthouse and placing them into our, our most uh, gun violence prone uh, districts, the 7th district in Inglewood and the 11th district in Harrison on the west side. And that was geared towards one, getting intelligence on, you know, who's doing the shooting, um, what are the networks that are involved in that, and having them on the ground with CPD as well as the ATF, the DEA the U.S. Marshal's Office, and the U.S. Attorney's Office. So we worked, we came together back in December to create a collaboration uh, to have all of these agencies working together uh, to deal with more hands-on and on, on what's happening with gun violence. One of the other things that we did was we looked at how have we been doing on gun cases in our office? Uh, because I think there was a, a lot of conversation, and rightfully so, about the gun violence. And there was legislation that was being proposed about sentencing because we were trying to figure out what is driving this. And so what we did was we went and looked at the data, and, and we found some actually pretty disturbing trends. Um, you know, of those gun cases that weren't pled out, where someone pled guilty, mm -hmm. about 80% of those cases go to a plea bargain. Of the 20% that go to trial, whether before a judge or before a jury, um, our results were very shocking. So for people who took their cases to a, a, a trial before a bench, a judge, uh, our success rate was 32%. Wow. 32%. For those who took their cases before a jury, it was somewhere around 42%. Wow. 
And so we had to ask ourselves, one, what are we doing um, in how we handle gun cases and, and what can we do better? And two, did our partners in law enforcement know what these numbers look like? Uh, were they aware? So we met um, our top leaders, met with Superintendent Eddie Johnson in the city of Chicago and his top leaders, and we shared the data. And now we have a monthly meeting where we go over not just, you know, what happens on the arrest side, on their side, but on the prosecution side on ours so that we can build stronger, more effective cases so that we can get better outcomes. We also have what we call vertical prosecution, where the same, in, in our homicide cases, the same lawyer who reviews the evidence in those cases for charging is the same lawyer who will try that case all the way through. Again, we think we will get better outcomes. Um, we think it's important to deal dealing with the gun issue of having partners. So the, we are part of a task force with the ATF um, that's dealing with gun trafficking. Uh, we have been very vocal with the U.S. Attorney's Office that we need to do more with trafficking. Uh, Superintendent Johnson and I also went out to a group in New York, Prosecutors Against Gun Violence, that talked about building a gun trafficking unit um, within uh, our office as well as working with CPD. And so we are, are, are very concerned about what's happening with guns, but doing a very, again, deliberate approach to our response so that we're not just, you know, saying we're doing something, we're actually doing something. So we're building stronger cases. We're evaluating the data on how we do that. We're working more collaboratively with our law enforcement partners. We're doing trainings, uh, roll call trainings and the like to make sure that as we build cases, they, those cases are strong cases. Um, we're having our assistance in the neighborhoods building cases from the ground up and we're working on effective partnerships not just with local uh, law enforcement but federal partners as well okay that's awesome are you uh, is there any collaboration with or, or communication with uh, uh, school districts like uh, CPS in, in, in particular yeah so we have um, that has been a concern of mine back from when I was a supervisor in, in, in juvenile we have a lot of work that has been done around restorative justice and restorative justice practices in schools, uh, but we still have a number of schools that uh, use the criminal justice system um, for discipline issues, for for things that one would hope could be dealt with in the schools and not our justice system. And so I've had some conversations preliminarily um, uh, with Jadine Chow, who runs security uh, for Chicago Public Schools, to figure out how we can collaborate more, how we can bring in resources. Because what we find is a lot of the schools um, that rely heavily on the juvenile justice system are some of the the most underfunded schools um, who don't have access to resources for restorative justice practices. So we want to bring those resources to them, um, and we want to do that in partnership with CPS. And so those are preliminary conversations, but very vital to the work that we want to do. Well, um, I wish that I could stretch this out uh, even further, but we've only, we're only on the air until 7. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you now, um, to repeat those handles, because uh, I know folks, listeners, want to be able to keep up with you. Uh, so you have a, a Twitter and as well as a Facebook page now yes. for the office. So would you please repeat those? Yes, thank you. So my handle is S.A. Kim Fox, and there are two X's in Fox, S-A-K-I-M-F-O-X-X. Uh, that is my handle, and you can also find me as Kim Fox on 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 Facebook. And then the offices page uh, uh, or handle on Twitter is CC State's Attorney, CC standing for Cook County mm -hmm. State's Attorney. 
Um, and you can look up the Cook County State's Attorney's Office on our Facebook page. Okay. We thank you so much for taking the time to come out and talk with us and, um, and our listeners. Uh, and I'm sure that well, I'm almost I'm almost speechless, uh, and I'm gonna t- and we'll and we'll talk about this a little bit more on another on another broadcast. Uh, just because I have a very uh, I have a very strong uh, attachment to to justice um, and how it is um, how it is utilized, you know, um, in in underprivileged communities and communities of color. Uh, so I see this as uh, I see your uh, leadership, your administration, uh, as as one of those things that will help to heal and and bring about progress, not just for those communities, but for communities, uh, for Cook County as a whole. Thank you. So uh, we we pray for your continued success and well being, uh, and we pray that all goes well Saturday at the victim, Victims Memorial. Uh, folks, we are winding down. We'd like to let you know that tonight's broadcast will be available hopefully tomorrow morning on SoundCloud for download uh, at Radio Islam USA. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m., 1450 WCEV, same time. It'll be me again. So if you tune in tomorrow and you look for someone else. Uh, and you know what? We're going to lighten it up a little bit. We'll have a joke for you tomorrow. Somebody told me, they said, you, you talk about some some heavy stuff and you know, I find myself frowning up a little bit. I'm weighed down. So we're going to have a joke for you tomorrow, and then we're going to talk about the heavy stuff. Okay? So tonight's executive producer has been Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, your producer today, your host for today, has been who but me. Right, Tariq Alameen. Our engineer WCEV is Ramon. Our engineer in studio, he's not, I don't want to call him the, he's, he's, he's a bad man in the best kind of way. Uh, Ibrahim Vague on the boards, doing what he does, making sure that you hear us. Uh, We are, I have to say this, so the statements of the host and the guest are the views of them, right? Not necessarily those of Sound Vision. So we look forward to talking to you tomorrow night at the same time. I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.